and turn to page 622. 622 in our hymns, we are marching to Zion. 622. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus surround the throne. And thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our song. But children of the heavenly king, but children of the heavenly king, may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets. Before we reach the heavenly fields, before we reach the heavenly fields or walk, the golden streets or walk the golden streets we're marching to zion beautiful beautiful zion we're marching upward to zion the beautiful city of god then let our songs abound and every tear be dry we're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. To fairer worlds on high, to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Amen. And now let's turn to page. 170, 170, saved by the blood. It's the only way, amen? 170. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Get ready. Save, save. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Save, save. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, the angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father, joint heir with the Son, saved by the blood of the crucified one. Save, save, my sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Save, save, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Page 170 on the third verse, 170. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. The Father he spake and his will it was done. Great price of my pardon, his own precious son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Now sing it. Save, save. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Save, save. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. All hail to the Father, all hail to the Son, all hail to the Spirit, the great we 
by the blood of the crucified one. Save, save, my sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Save, save, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Amen. Let's do one more song, 611. 611, take my life and let it be. 611. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee filled with messages from thee take my silver and my gold not a mite would i withhold Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Amen, and you may be seated. Well, we don't have any praises, so I guess just let's have another song. No. Uh, we had um, how many today? 64? 64. Now, with the Montoros, that would have come out to 150, so we did really good. No, no, come on now. We're recording this. I just got myself in trouble. No. Uh, actually, this was better than last week. With the Montoros, we had, I think it was a little under 70. So, praise the Lord, we did, we did better. Um, and let's see, we usually give praises for what other things? I mean, attendance, and it's good to see Daniel this morning. It's good to see him. Uh, let's see, I guess we'll just start with you all. Uh, does anyone have a praise they want to give for uh, what the Lord's done this week? Miss Pam. Praise the Lord for saying. Now, where did you go? Chicago. Chicago. Fly? Drive. Fly. Did you have to deal with taking all your hairspray and tubes of toothpastes and whatnot? You did. How long did you have to stand in line for? No? Oh, for Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. I heard. Yeah. That's a miracle. That's what that is. Yes. I agree. Traveling mercies. 
Praise, hey, praise the Lord for Pastor for Traveling Mercies. They made it all the way over to Washington State. And, uh, Brother Dave. Amen. Amen. Um, praise the Lord. We had a little lunch with the Shaws this afternoon. They, I forgot to mention at church this morning, they celebrated their 33rd anniversary yesterday. So... Praise the Lord for their testimony, and it's a good message this morning, amen? Amen, I, I like that a lot. It was a good one. Uh, let's see, anyone else? Paul? Praise the Lord for answered prayers, yeah, yeah. Anita? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So those who, who didn't hear, Anita, um, she's just praising the Lord for uh, the ability to be used to do sign language uh, while Julia's gone. And uh, just thank God for the strength to do it and not... Uh, not buckle under the pressure, and uh, so she was praising the Lord for that and to be able to be used of Him. Uh, any any other praises? Uh, Brother Dean. Oh, praise the Lord! All right, praise the Lord for another job, Brother Dean. I praise the Lord for my job situation. It's going better. I'm still down there. They're they're starting to hammer things out and. Uh, it looks good. It looks good, and uh, thankfully the new boss I have seems to be, uh, seems, seems to have a Christian testimony. I think he's a little more on the liberal side than I'd like, but uh, he's definitely supportive of uh, what I'm trying to do and, and figuring out God's will for the ministry, and um, it's, uh, it seems, you know, thank God things are starting to become normal again where for, for quite a while, it can get nerve-wracking at times. I didn't even thank God just for giving us patience through this time because, you know, even when we were sort of missing paychecks and they would have to make up for them, uh, he still provided. We still paid rent on time and, you know, all those things. So uh, I praise the Lord for, for providing for, for me and my, my family. All right, if that's it. All right, let's, uh, let's just pray. Let's just give Thanksgiving, Lord. We thank you. Uh, Lord, for all these uh, things that you've done this week, we thank you for traveling mercies. And uh, Father, we thank you for using us. We thank you, Lord, for working our hearts and lives. We thank you for giving us the strength to serve you. And uh, we pray, Father, thanksgiving for answering our prayers, uh, the smallest to the largest. And uh, Father, we, uh, we just pray that you'd uh, help us to serve you more this week. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One more, Brother Franz. All right, let's stand and turn to page 132, 132, the old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my troll at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown Oh that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me for the dear land
Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. In the old rugged cross stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty I see for it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophy at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue. Well, <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, we're going to continue tonight in the book of Jude. I don't know if anyone remembers, I don't even remember when it was, months and months and months ago, months of doing Sunday school and children's church ago, I did a Thursday night. And uh, it was on the book of Jude, and it was a study just through it. It's only one chapter, so it was it was a homework assignment, and... So I wanted to get the most out of my homework assignment. And just to recap, and hopefully I'll refresh someone's memory, but uh, <clears throat> the last time I talked about the ways that God looks on uh, his people. So he, he looks on his people um, through an eternal eye. And he looks on his people with a duty in mind. And uh, this week, this time, rather, I'm going to talk about the ways that God looks upon the sinner. And I sort of titled the study, The Book of Jude, Fighting the, the Enemy Within. Um, and this epistle written by Jude is has been placed right before the book of Revelation in the Bible. And many look at it as, as sort of a, a well, a, a good fit for it. Just as the first part of Revelation starts talking to the churches, we have Jude sort of given this warning. And it's a general epistle. It's not directed to any particular church. And it's just stay on your guard and protect your church. Every member has a, has a duty to be vigilant in the church house and as a responsibility, whether we know it or not, and we'll, we'll, we'll look into this, Jude is, is letting us know through uh, the Holy Spirit 
that we have a duty here uh, as Christians in, in our church, as members of this church, uh, to, to be vigilant and to keep our eyes open. Um, so not only do what we're supposed to be doing uh, in our own way, whatever God has us doing on any, in any particular moment, uh, but also to just keep a lookout and, and make sure that the church moves forward because people will come into the church with the purpose and point in mind to undermine and destroy it and to make it of none effect. And that's ultimately what the devil wants to do. He'll take saved people and pit them against each other and make them say things to each other that they would never say uh, and, and hurt and destroy and corrupt a church so that it's one, la one less thing he has to worry about as far as getting people from going to hell with him. That's the only thing that the devil has left for him is to take as many people as possible in the church is in direct variance to what Satan's trying to do. Um, so I, I had the theme of a boxing match. And the first lesson was of fighting the enemy within. It was introducing the champs, which, which are the, the elect of God, the saved. And this, this lesson is introducing the contender our enemies, the ones that we're supposed to fight against. And subtitled, Ways God Looks Upon the Sinner. So I'm going to start, I'm going to go through the beginning. I only covered the first three verses in that last study. And so I'll start there just to ramp up into, but we'll really start studying verse 4. So it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called... Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And now we start our study for today. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set before, uh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cori, or Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and their, own, their mouth speaketh great swelling words having men's persons in admiration because of advantage." 
Let's skip down to 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. That was the center. There's, there's a third lesson. We're on lesson two. Just talking about the character and personality of individuals whose desire is to come into the church and destroy it. Now, they might not even know or understand that they're doing that. Um, but their personality, what kind of person they are, how do they relate to God, what is it that they desire to do? And it, it isn't hard to find that out. People can be convincing up to a certain point, but you can usually get to know someone pretty quickly and understand what motivates them and how, how they they uh, look at the world, especially if you get them, you know, in a, in a regular, everyday, normal setting outside of a church, you can usually see really where, where their heart lies. Uh, but we have the first point. God looks upon the sinner with suspicion. These folks are suspects, according to Jude. Uh, notice in verse 4, it says, For there are men, uh, certain men crept in unawares. They came in, and no one was paying attention. And he, mu he's, he, he must be speaking out of experience here. He must have seen it at another church. Enough to write it down to warn people. And... Also, he does tie into the children of Israel, so uh, he can, he, excuse me, we don't have a windscreen, so now and again I might have a booming noise come out because I don't have anything blocking it, sorry. Uh, he, um, he saw with the children of Israel the same thing, and he mentions Korah, who spoke against Moses and tried to usurp his authority. Uh, and he, he brings these together to teach these uh, early church members what to look for and how to stand guard. So they crept in unawares, these fellows. They looked like a Christian. They talked like a Christian. Uh, you know, they walked like a Christian, but, but they're not. They're not Christians. And... and uh, also in verse 4 it says, ordained to this condemnation. And that is in variance to the above statement where Jude says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus and called. Uh, we have a calling as, as saved individuals. Uh, this is within the realm of the time and the place that we exist. God lives outside of time and space. We have to live within it. In God's eyes, these people are ordained to do this wicked stuff. But in our time and space, they have a choice on whether or not they want to do that. They have a choice to, to really repent and, 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 and shun the world and seek God. The adversary talking about ungodly men in verse 4, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. I think of uh, a lot of, I think of a lot of churches, you know, with, with a lot of the, um, using all sorts of very interesting ways of trying to get the world to come into their church. And it'll be interesting to see these churches down the road that, that use uh, things like rap music or rock music in their services and in their worship to God. Um, and you can think of these, you can think of a lot of these charlatan preachers uh, like Benny Hinn or, uh, well, it's... Um, Jim Baker, Jimmy Baker. I mean, these guys who are supposed to be ministers of the gospel, and 
they have turned it into lasciviousness. But it's, it's happening today just as it happened 2,000 years ago. And these suspects deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't fear God. They don't care. They ultimately don't care. They could say they do. And I, and I know people, and I, I, I uh, know people a little too well uh, where I work. Um, one that comes to mind in particular who, you, you could talk to him about theological stuff for hours. And he sounds good. But he doesn't, he doesn't really fear God. And, and neither do these suspects. Uh, neither do these enemies that come into churches and destroy them. They might say they fear God, but if you look at how they live their life and, they, and you look at what their goals are, their goals ultimately, and we'll see this, their goals are power and control in the church. And ultimately, once these individuals get into their, their positions... They'll mess up somehow or another because there's no root in them. There's nothing in them to make them do right. And so when something corrupt comes their way, they're going to they're take advantage of it. And the church basically gets its testimony destroyed because somebody of uh, a place in the church totally blows it. And everyone's like, what kind of church is that? So these folks, these suspects ultimately want power and control in the church house. Uh, this is what they want. In verse 5, Jude goes into reminders of past examples. You know, these are the people you're going to look for. They don't fear God. They, they're in your church, and you don't know they're in your church. But here's some examples from the Old Testament here, guys which is what they had at that time. Uh, there might have been some other epistles floating around the churches, but at this point, they just had the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, uh, the Law and the Prophets. Verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the, we're going through right now on our Sunday school our Sunday school lessons, we're going through the Exodus. And we covered uh, the Passover last week. Brother Franz covered uh, the Red Sea crossing this morning. And Judah's telling them, these guys made, some of these, some of these people I'm talking about made it out. They followed God's command. They put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And the death angel passed over them. And yet, once they got in the wilderness, God cut them off. And we'll, as we go through, we'll, we'll be seeing these examples of uprisings um, that happened in the wilderness and how God dealt fiercely with these people. And one of the interesting things also about the book of Jude is that Jude re references traditional things, uh, extra-biblical traditions. Uh, and he also talks about, like it says in verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. These fallen angels. Now we know a little bit from the Old Testament about how uh, the, the development of Satan and those that he gathered up to fight against God and were cast out, but not a great deal. And honestly, the whole point of the book of Jude is not to find out what verse 6 means. 
and to cross-reference it and to spend hours and hours trying to compile what verse, what angels is he talking about? What is this? Ultimately, that doesn't, that does not translate into something you can apply to your life to serve God better with. He's giving it as an example of, listen, in times past, this is what these people have done. This is what these even created beings have done. These angels didn't fear God. They, they, they wanted the devil's power. They wanted to be like God. And this is how God's dealing with them. And he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities about them in like manner. Evidently, it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah, as we read in the Old Testament. There were other cities involved. And in fact, uh, Lot ends up going to, to one particular city to escape, and it's spared. But verse 8 is really the whole point. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. They, they want the power themselves. They want to control the show. They think the church house is the place that they go to uh, to be boss. Uh, and they're probably like that anywhere else also. It's not just the church house that these, these folks want to exact their authority but they dream about it. They, their mind is set on this particular thing. I want, I want the, um, uh, I want the influence at the church. I want to be numero uno. You know, I want to be the guy. And they, they, they go, they go through all these things. We also uh, we'll, we'll, we also will look at in Jude. He also mentions these feasts that they would have. And in one of the commentaries I was looking at, John Gill's commentary, uh, they used to have these feasts where the church would come together, and even uh, the poorer folks would have a time of respite. They would be a big blessing to the poorer people because they would get to eat a really good meal. And what these guys would do is they, they wouldn't care about the poor folks that came in also to, to, to fellowship. They didn't want to fellowship with them because the poor people couldn't get them ahead. You know, they wanted their little clique and they wanted to uh, eat, uh, saying there's spots in your feasts of charity. And they eat without fear. They, they don't care about these other folks. They're going to sit there and pile their plate up as high as they can and sit there and just eat it right in front of this poor guy who hardly got anything. There's hardly anything left for these other guys. And they'll sit there and enjoy it without, without any care whatsoever. The, the adversary has come into these churches because these folks weren't paying attention. And Jude is trying to warn other churches that this is going to happen to you if you're not on guard. Uh, and we have these suspects. God is looking upon them with suspicion. I mean, the description that Jude, the contempt that Jude has for these people, because he knows what the end of, of their work is. Uh, it's incredible to see how, how much, I mean, he just, he really nails them. And he gets the point across that we, need, we do need to be vil, uh, vigilant at keeping the church uh, moving forward and keeping out elements that want to just take over the place. Uh, and I thank God for, uh, you know, a pastor that does that. I mean, he's really, I think a lot of the times most people just think he comes off as very harsh. But... There's not enough time in the day for that man to lollygag, and he's just direct about it. Um, I, I, and I'm sure that I, I don't know how much Baltimore influence that would be. I'm sure it's probably just his time spent here in the Big Apple. He got that. You know, there's not enough time. 
We don't have time to mess around here. And he just cuts to the chase. Some people walk off offended. Well, usually the ones that walk off and stay off, we're, we're far better off for it. Uh, because the ones that, the ones that really want to do right, if, if pastor's in the wrong, he, he's, he's not afraid of admitting it. If that person's honest and can say, you know, I was offended by that, he's straightened it out. But we need to have the same understanding. People want to come in here and destroy us. People want to come into this church purposefully to mess everything up. Especially, I mean, the devil sees the fact that this property has been paid off. Man, that's got to drive him nuts. He's got to, he's got to hate that. We're, we're not under any huge financial obligation. Um, and we live in a litigious society, as they say. And, you know, so we have to be on guard. And he, so he gives these examples. And he look, God looks upon the sinner with suspicion. These guys are suspects. And you can see wh- how they'll act and who they'll be just like. And mark them and guard against them. God also looks upon the sinner with contempt. And I touched upon this in Jude's uh, language that he uses, filthy dreamers. Um, and they speak evil of dignities. That's saying, that is to say, uh, it goes along with this idea of despising dominion. You know, the people that are in charge, you're not the boss of me. You know, you can't tell me what to do. I make my own rules. I, you know, um, they speak e- evil of dignities. Uh, we're not called to start a revolution. And, you know, as this world moves more and more toward a one-world government, I just heard they, they signed last year, Canada, Mexico, and the United States signed an agreement to create this super state, basically like the European Union, but with the Americas. And their plan has been to basically make that happen. And you know what? My job isn't to buy a tank and try to stop them. My job is to tell people, listen, there's going to come an end. Uh, I could die right this moment. Uh, what's important? The, the important thing is that the gospel gets out and people understand about the need for salvation. These folks, they're their own boss. They're headstrong. They're high-minded. Paul talked a lot about these kind of folks, too. Peter talked a lot about these folks, too. It seems like there's a lot of them. Uh, And it seems like we as Christians tend to be too sheepish. We tend to just kind of, you know, look around and not pay attention to what's happening. Aren't sensitive to that. And it's difficult. There's a lot to distract us. There's a lot in our individual lives. We have we have things in our own lives, like work, like family, uh, making sure the bills are paid. There's a lot of distractions. I think there's some that we add to our life uh, that we can take out and probably help us out a lot, but it's, it's difficult. But we need to be vigilant. God looks upon the sinner with contempt. Verse 9 you know, Michael the Archangel, this is another tradition, traditional story that Jude is talking about. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, I read in a commentary that they were talking about Michael the Archangel. They felt that that, that was a, a type of Christ. It was a Christophany. It was a, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus in this traditional story, which would which would fit into what happens in the Old Testament when you have the angel of the Lord showing up in the fiery furnace and things of that nature. 
uh, it would fit in with this. Um, and for some reason, the devil had some sort of design for Moses' body. Now, was it his soul or was it his physical body? I'm not sure. But the point of that whole part is, it isn't, wow, where's this mysterious book that this story came from? It's, the Lord rebuke thee. God will take care of these people. And God's in charge. We need to fear God. We need to be of that mind. They're overcome uh, by anger out of ignorance. These, these sinners that God looks on with contempt. They're overcome by anger out of ignorance. They're as dumb as an ox. Verse 10, these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. They don't try. They don't try to live for God. They don't care to live for God. They know what they know. They're going to do what they're going to do. And they like it because they're not saved. They don't have a Holy Spirit convicting them and telling them, stop doing it. And they won't take sound doctrine. They won't, they won't take sound doctrine uh, if you hit them over the head with it repeatedly. They won't take correction. They don't understand to take correction. You can't... You can... Uh, you will only get an angry response from somebody who is not born again when you try to correct them. Someone who is unsaved. You could plead with somebody. I've done this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I even go out. If you go out in the street and just hand out tracts, and you don't say anything, people get offended. You trying to force your religion on me? Uh, not particularly. Um, it's just a piece of paper, you know. And I told someone. I said I never seen someone so afraid of a piece of paper in all my life. And they just kind of stood there and looked at me like me. They, they don't get it. The, the funny thing is, the fact that we, you know, we still have a country where we have you know, certain rights to uh, hand out these, these uh, gospel tracts, it's kind of scary that those folks don't understand that I, I sort of have a right to do that. That's the next generation of people that are going to be in control of things, and they're going to be probably happy to imprison people one day who do that but for now these people will not take correction they won't understand it they don't understand doctrine they don't have it in them because they're not saved and Jude also gives more, in, more instances he talks about Cain the way of Cain jealousy King was jealous of his brother. And Balaam, the, the prophet, who wanted money. He cared more about money than he did about getting God's word out. And Korah, trying to usurp the authority of Moses. They're contemptible people. These people that are in the Bible, I mean, it's been recorded historically forever and ever. When you hear, you know, the name Cain, people who don't even study the Bible know about it. They understand who that is. It's a terrible testimony. They won't take, they won't take correction. These people are prime examples. They don't have any etiquette. They eat without fear, like I said, at the Feast of Charity. They have a, we have a fellowship dinner, and they're, bud, they're in the front of the line, elbowing out everybody, piling up everything, leaving crumbs left for everyone else. And they'll just sit there and eat it and look at you like, oh, first come, first serve. 
They're cavalier about their apostasy. They're cavalier about their apostasy. In verse 12, they don't care. They're clouds without water. You know, like I said before, they look like uh, they look like they're a Christian. They they can talk to talk, but there's no substance. Clouds without water. They're no good. Clouds without water. They block the sun. Uh, they don't provide any. They don't really provide anything. And they show how empty they are. And how really ultimately worthless they are. They're all show, no substance. Twice dead. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about the second death. If you're not born again, you will have a second death in Lake of Fire. That's what the Bible says, believe it or not. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. That's up to you. God gives you that choice. But these people are twice dead. They're not saved. And their hearts are so intent on this that they're basically given over to it. They're, they're past the point of no return. Now, as long as there's breath in their lungs, God's mercy is still available to them. But in their minds, they, there, a, a switch just kind of turned off, and they're sold out to it. They've, they've, des, they've decided what their course is going to be, and they're going to follow it. God sees them through an, eye of, an eternal eye and knows what their end is going to be. Verse 13, wave, raging waves of the sea. Just reckless. Uh, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These are contemptible terms God is using here through his servant Jude against these unsaved folks. And this applies to anybody who has not received Jesus Christ as their Savior. This doesn't just apply to this one, these certain people in the Bible that is discussed by Jude. There's really only two types. Those that are under the blood and those that are not under the blood. And these wandering stars, they don't have an orbit. They don't, they're not locked into anything. They're just flying through space. They don't have any direction. Uh, these folks that would come into a church, always scheming. They have, they have it in their mind. They want to get to the top. They, they see it as an opportunity for them to get ahead. I, I see this a lot, and I've heard of, of this a lot in churches, where folks that are involved, I heard especially one horrifying story of a fellow who had a church. He came into it. He came into the pastorate at this church, and they had been going through, they'd just been re, revolving pastors, going in and out of this church. They couldn't figure it out why. He finds out the deacons are all masons. Now, if you read anything from some of the main Masonic writers, they are pretty blatant. Now, they'll, they'll, they'll jam this stuff into the middle of a you know, thousand-page book. But they'll say Lucifer is the angel of light. They worship Lucifer. Now, the initiated, some of these guys who are in there don't realize it. They think it's just a fraternal order, and they do some weird rituals now and again, but... They're good guys. They're just trying to help the community. Uh, I don't know. I've read uh, writings from the, uh, the first um, 
the first guy to set up the Scottish Rite Freemasons, and this guy basically said, we worship Lucifer. Fair enough. The Bible says Lucifer is the devil. Lucifer is a fallen angel, and these guys are worshiping Lucifer. But these uh, deacons, take, they, they ran the church. And if the pastor said something they didn't like, they sat him down, and they told him, don't preach about that again. We, we really don't like that hearing that around here. Prime example. They had their position... Oh, yes, I'm a member of so-and-so church. You know, I'm a good, upstanding citizen. You know, I worship Lucifer. You know, it's great. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, that happens. And they poison a church. And you've got some folks that are there at the church. At that point, that church, there's no recovering it unless God sends lightning bolts to each and every one of those deacons. You've got you've to leave. Um... And I blame, I blame the people of that church for not being vigilant and looking out and seeing what Jude had written 2,000 years ago for us to look at and to apply to our church. In verses 14 and 15, it talks about Enoch's uh, prophecy. Now, this isn't a book. There's, there's, a, there's a, an apocryphal book, a, a writing called the Book of Enoch. It's not... Um, of holy origin, the, the the writings aren't considered canon. But this is talking about a prophecy, so this is something different. I'm talking about the book. And this, this uh, prophecy just says this is what's going to happen to these folks. And they're, they're, they're going to try to come into your church. And those that Enoch spoke of in verse 16 are amplified. Uh, Jude elaborates on Enoch's prophecy by saying, these guys are murmurers. They're complainers. They'll sit, they'll sit there and say something against any, any particular member of the church. Most of the time, because they want the preeminence, it's going to be against the pastor or the pastor's wife. Uh, but they're always complaining. They're always saying. They're always putting stuff into people's ears. They're always getting people to try to come over to their side. They're trying to make recruits. They're trying to get the church to split, or uh, to unanimously kick the pastor out so they can get in charge or whatever they want, whatever their scheme is. But they, that's why they do this. They they murmur and they complain to to see. Who else is listening and who else shares the same thoughts and ideas as them? Because there's power in numbers. They speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They sow discord and they, they respect people. They respect uh, what people think about them. They want to be admired because they're, you know, Oh, I've got some good plans for this church. I've got a great mind. I can... Oh, yeah. My ideas are far better than the pastor's. I don't know why he's not doing this in the first place. We should, we should go talk to him, you know. And, and aren't my ideas great, you know. They're prideful people. They're boastful people. And God looks upon this with judgment. I think of uh, an example of this murmur, murmuring and complaining, and it's sort of a parallel. It's not exactly the same because I think of, um, well, I'm sure on that first day at the airports, in these really long lines, there were people murmuring and complaining. It creates a common bond. Likewise, in this way, they're trying to create a common bond. But they're trying to sow discord. And that's, what, that's how churches end up getting undermined. That's how churches end up splitting. You get a couple of people in there that just start talking. 
And next thing you know, they got a bunch of people going with them to start their own little fellowship somewhere so they can, uh, you know, do their great ideas about the ministry or whatever. Instead of fearing God, obeying God, uh, seeking God's place in the church, because that means you'd be, you'd be in a role that would not be at the level that you think you're worthy of. And they walk after their own lusts, great swelling words. Their ideas are certainly the best. And they, they, they keep men's persons in admiration. They want to be worshipped. They want to take the glory that's supposed to go to God and apply it to themselves. But isn't this what happens with unsaved folks all the time? Just not even inside of a church. This is what folks do if they, if they don't understand their position, if they don't understand that their sin has separated them from God, and that because of this separation, there must be a reconciliation. We live in a world of death. We live in a world of, of sickness. Because we choose to sin against God. Uh, it was by one man, the Bible refers to him as Adam, that sin entered into the world, and death from sin, and sin passed upon all men, and, and therefore for that all have sinned. But God, God, in his mercy, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he provided a payment for our sin, the blood of Jesus Christ. One of the ways, it's very hard to do it because, as we see in the book of Jude, the folks that are trying to take these churches over are pretty much given over. But one of the ways of trying to uh, fight against this problem is to get people saved, to be in your place, asking God for opportunities to share the gospel with people, how, how merciful God's been to us in His love, in saving us, uh, calling us His children. Uh, what, little, what little we do in this life. Uh, the greatest thing would be to give the gospel to somebody, to win somebody over, to show them the need for salvation and, and to get them saved. But... I thought this was a pretty apt lesson, being that pastor's away. It's sort of something that, as a church, we do need to be on the lookout for. Um, and he has been an under-shepherd for all these years. Uh, I think as the church grows and as individuals develop in the Lord, it's important that we do, as a church, be more vigilant to help him weed out and, and, you know, you hear somebody murmuring, you ought to talk to them about it. You ought to talk to them. Once you hear somebody say something, say, why did you say that? The, that's biblical. You can go in front of them and ask them that. Uh, you, don't, you know, we don't need to be a society of spies where it was like, oh, I overheard, you know, and then you go to a uh, pastor. You, you can confront somebody. We have a right to. Jude is telling these, these individuals we need to be looking out for these things. And uh, as the day continues to approach, it's, going, you know, it's only getting worse. You know, and as pastors away, it's good. It's good that we're able to uh, just look at, see what Jude is exhorting people to do 2,000 years after the fact. Um, let's just have a word of prayer real quick. Lord, we do thank you for your servant Jude and his exhortation to us. We pray, God, that we would be vigilant here at church. And we pray that you'd uh, just help us serve you, help us to just uh, be on alert, Lord, to those that are coming in that would try to come in unaware and, and take over or 
God, especially that we'd be alert to souls that need to be saved and you'd give us people to witness to and, uh, Lord, lead you, uh, lead them to you. And we pray, God, that you'd bless our prayer time to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, if there's something you want to pray about before we start our prayer time, uh, we, op- we always open the altar for an invitation, so I don't want to uh, not do that, even though my message wasn't as compelling as, as most. But if there's something God's burdened your heart and you want to pray, the altar's open. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can tell you this, uh, life comes and goes quickly. No one knows the day or the time or the hour that they're going to leave this life. And you can be reconciled to God. You can have the assurance that heaven is your home. There's no hope so. There's no if or maybes. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And we would love to be able to share that with you. We can show you from the Bible how you can know for certain. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, we have last 